Okay, let's see if we're going to get this going, Cheryl. Nope, she's not working for some reason. Okay, I'll just get you to click across. So we're continuing on in our series through John's Gospel, seeing what Jesus sees. And I trust that uh, as we consider these different people that Jesus interacts with, it might influence how we look at people and how we respond to people as well. Let's pray. Father, we're going to open your word before us today and we know that your word is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and it will hit our hearts, our minds. Father, we pray that we'll be ready and that we'll be like fertile ground, ready to receive what you have to say and to uh, know that we are empowered by your spirit to live it out in obedience to you uh, day by day. So we look forward to what you're going to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the uh, video about flip-flops. Anybody call them flip-flops? Who calls them thongs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who wears socks with thongs? No? Some people do. I wouldn't own up to that, Pat. I wouldn't own up to that. We're actually looking at a passage in John chapter 13 this morning, which is the foot-washing passage. And uh, this is a passage that often, I don't know about you, but often people will um, uh, flick over because they don't see that it's relevant to today. But I want us to investigate it and see what, uh, what came out of it for Jesus and his disciples and how we might apply some of the principles that are contained in this passage to our lives today. Jesus was in an intimate setting with his closest disciples when we get to this passage, this part of John's Gospel. Remember, we have it in chapters to make chapters and verses to make it easier for us to uh, follow through and find places. But when John actually wrote it, he wrote it as a one long story, if you like. And so we're catching up on John chapter 13, verses uh, 1 to 5. And in this intimate setting, it was the time for the Passover. Often it's the, time, it's the last supper that Jesus was having with his disciples. So why don't we read it together this morning? You've got it up on the screen there. How about we read John chapter 3, verses, uh, 13 rather, verses 1 to 5. Let's read this together. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Did you get that last part? He'd loved them, he'd walked with them for three years and now he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. What's that mean? The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus knew his purpose He knew the plan, God's plan. And this is what John's recording for us. Verse 4. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's go back to this verse here. He now showed them the full extent of his love. He got a towel a water basin, and he washed their feet. Remember, Judas has already made his decision to betray Jesus at this time. And his heart desired, Judas's heart desired, the, sadly, the death of Jesus. I'm not sure he knew the consequences 
of his betrayal, but ultimately that's what would happen. This is how Jesus would be handed over to his executioners by the betrayal of someone that was one of his closest uh, followers for the last three years. And yet it was God's will that it should be done this way. It was prophesied many years before that it would happen this way. But knowing all these things, Jesus still wanted to show the full extent of his love to those who are right there in the room with him. Who was he seeing that day? He was seeing his closest disciples, his closest followers, his trusted friends. So he got up, wrapped that towel around his waist, took the stature of a servant as the uh, lady on the flip-flop commercial, no, video, um, told us it was the lowest of the low positions uh, in the household. Uh, Most of the masters of the household or the owners of the household would not do that. But Jesus did it. He washed these dusty, dirty feet of his followers that day. And that would be unheard of for a teacher or a rabbi to stoop so low. And from my readings I said if there was no one there of a lower stature to do it, then they just live with dirty, dusty feet because the rabbi or the teacher or the owner would not do it. So this was very unusual. This act of love in Jesus' eyes was something that these disciples would have never experienced before. So keep that in mind as we consider this passage. You know something? No matter what the devil had in plan for Jesus, the love of Jesus would not be extinguished. His love would still be current and evident. No matter what the devil had planned, his love had no barriers. There was no social barriers. There was no status barriers that could stop the love of Jesus. But as we know, Jesus was God in the flesh, God incarnate. This was almighty God, if you like, bowing down to wash the feet of his creation. I don't know if that affects you, but it certainly staggers me. He takes that humble and lowly position and task Jesus showed by his love that the greatest one is the one who chooses to humbly serve others. Ultimately, as we've uh, remembered in communion, Jesus didn't only wash people's feet. Figuratively, he washed all of us through his shed blood on the cross. The Bible tells us that when we we are washed whiter than snow by the blood that Jesus shed. I suspect that the disciples, when they saw this happening, would be more more, more than happy to wash Jesus' feet than to have him wash their feet. So it must have been quite a confusing time for them. In fact, it had just come in Luke's Gospel where there's the same... Uh, situations being described where they were arguing about who was the greatest amongst Jesus' friends and followers. And now Jesus shows them who the greatest is by preparing to wash their feet. What was going through their minds? I, I, I suspect they were shocked when they saw Jesus take up the towel in the basin of water. I, I suspect they were confused. But I wonder what would have been on your mind. If you put yourself into the sandals of the feet of the apostles, what would, you, would have been on your mind today, uh, then? 
For me, it would have been, oh no, dirty, smelly feet. Dirty, smelly feet. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Yep. Dirty, smelly feet. He's going to wash my dirty, smelly feet. That's, that would have been my first thought. Embarrassment, perhaps. And yet that's what Jesus chose to do. Verse 6 says this. Read it with me. Let's read it. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. Jesus wasn't just being polite in washing their feet. There was a purpose in doing that. And these disciples, even though they were shocked by Jesus' action, Peter, obviously Peter was the one that was the spokesman, he said, don't wash my feet. But when Jesus explained, Peter's response was, well, wash my whole body as well, not just the feet. Peter missed the point. He missed the point of what was going on. He missed the point that it wasn't the, uh, the water and the dirt that was the issue, it was the humbleness of Jesus, being prepared to humble himself to show them what a, a servant leader really does. If you like... It was symbolic of a spiritual cleansing. It wasn't just washing the dirt off. It was saying that, that I'm clean before God. And it's only something that Jesus could provide in that situation. Verses 7 and 8 goes on to say this. Uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, You don't realise what, what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Was it a pride thing? that Peter was uh, concerned about? Was it a cultural thing? You know, the master, the teacher, the rabbi never does this. I'm so embarrassed, I'm so shocked that he's wanting to do it for me. I think it was all those things. That Jesus said, let me do it for you. Basically, he was saying, let me do it for you because you're a part of me. You're a part of my team. You're a part of my uh, disciples. It was that humble servant leadership of Jesus that was being displayed here. Do you know that was very different? Like I said, it wouldn't have been the norm for a a master of the household or a teacher or a rabbi or a priest to do that. But Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' rule was breaking all the social uh, uh, norms of the day, wasn't it? You know, he was a servant leader rather than a dictator type leader. He was a servant leader. He came to tell people about God, to show people what God was like. And sadly, for a long time, even the priests in the Jewish system had failed to encourage the followers of God to be in that personal, intimate relationship with God that he desired. So he was Jesus bringing back. Couldn't get more intimate than somebody washing your feet, could you? 
Who hates people touching their feet? Where's my wife? She's got a hand up, I knew that. And I'm sure things are no different, but it would have been more culturally acceptable in those days for it to happen. What if somebody came into your house and said, I want to wash your feet? You'd say, well, not in my lifetime or no way in the world. But it's not culturally relevant for us today, is it? You know, I struggled this week as I was thinking about this message. I struggled. What's something that would normally happen when we have visitors into our house that would show them that we respect them, we honour them, we are glad that they're there? Any suggestions? Because I didn't come up with any. What would you do if visitors came to your house to show them that, that you're glad they're there, you respect them, you honour them, you welcome them? What do you do? Food, somebody said food, yeah. Explain, say, look, we're so glad you've come, yes, all right. Cup of tea, glass of water, um, make yourself comfortable. If you come to my place, I say, that's where the toilets are over there. Um, so, we don't have that same cultural norm, do we? We have that, we, we, we want people to be feel welcome. Maybe some people who come to our house do need to have their feet washed. Um, I don't know. Uh, but most of us, if, if, uh, if we go to visit somebody, we'll kick our dirty boots off at the door or something like that and leave them outside. So, what's, it's not so much the foot washing that's the issue here. It's Jesus' humble servant attitude. You know, sadly, uh, in our society, there is still uh, an attitude of power and authority and prestige that will overtake or will be greater than the attitude of humble servitude when somebody comes to your house. Do you agree? You know, people are in it for the pride, they're in it for the fame, they're in it for the ego. And for them to do something humble and what would be considered lowly in our society is a big ask and it's a big risk. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. When Peter hears those words, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. His... his sense of enthusiasm and took over. In the next verse he says this, verse 9. Read it with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet but my hands and my head as well. But he missed the point, didn't he? He missed the point. And like I said, probably owing to his Jewish heritage, the culture of the time, his upbringing, he missed, missed the point that it wasn't about ceremonial um, proprietary. It wasn't about ceremonial uh, fulfilment. It was about that right standing before God and Jesus humbling himself to do that for him. Only Jesus could provide that right standing before God. Only he could wash away sin. And that's what ultimately he did when he went to the cross. But here he was in a, as Jesus often did, he used a story or an object lesson Here he was showing them what their attitude should be in servant leadership or serving one another. Then comes a a little bit of a difficult verse and I know I struggle with this one. Verse 10 says this, read it with me. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. Now, at face value, it's fairly simple, isn't it? If you'd had a bath, 
then you don't have to wash your whole body, you just have to wash your feet because they're dusty and dirty. And so, so Jesus is saying, you are clean. You are clean spiritually as you've walked with me. You are clean, though not every one of you. Who was he talking about? Judas Iscariot. Yes, he was. One of the commentators uh, in the MacArthur Study Bible said this, the cleansing that Christ does at salvation never needs to be repeated. Atonement is complete at that point. So, thinking about salvation. But all who have been cleansed by God's gracious justification need constant washing. In the experiential sense, as they battle sin in the flesh. So we have to regularly come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I've blown it again. I've done this. I've said that. I've thought this. Let your blood wash me clean. Not that it hasn't happened, but it's a continual going back to Jesus and saying, I want to be right with you. We are justified. We are granted that righteousness that comes with Christ. And that's what some people struggle with in this verse. We're not re-crucifying Christ again and again and again when we sin. We're saying thank you for the value. Thank you that your shed blood is efficient for salvation and for life as we walk with Jesus. He was trying to show them a pattern for living. He was trying to show them that it wasn't just about the ritual. It wasn't about just the ceremony. It was about the attitude involved. And they hadn't got it yet, so he had to say some more. And this is what John writes, verse 12. Let's read it together. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I wonder what Jesus was saying. Verse 17. Next one. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Was he talking about washing each other's feet? No. That was just the object lesson. He was talking about their attitude of heart. Like I said, in in Luke's Gospel, there's this argument about who will be the greatest amongst the disciples. So Jesus was saying, to be great, you need to be humble. To be great, you need to be willing to be a servant. And that word that I had highlighted there, example, another word for that is pattern. I have set you a pattern that you should do as I have done for you. And that pattern for living is one of servanthood and serving Christ. I wonder if you and I, if we looked at our lives, looked back after the last 12 months or two years, whatever, what would be our pattern for living? Would it be predominantly a selfish pattern? I'm doing this for what I can get out of it. Or do you have that attitude of heart and mind like Jesus had, which said, I'm doing this because God wants me to and it's for the benefit of his people, or sorry, it's for the benefit of my family, that often comes first, my family, his church, his people, or for the community. What would be your pattern for living in this last year? Dare I say that in the Christian community, 
There is no one that, ex- that is exempt from humble tasks. There is no one that is exempt from humble tasks. As followers of Jesus, we need to be ready to submit willingly to helping others, to serving others for the, for the sake of Jesus and for their sakes as well. He did. He didn't only wash his disciples' feet, he carried a cross to Calvary, ended up getting nailed on that cross, going through suffering and death for all mankind, particularly for those that put their faith in him, you and I. So we should have a passion for serving others, a passion for humility that Jesus showed us in his pattern. If we don't, if we don't have that pattern, if we don't follow that example, we should be asking ourselves the question, is there a blockage in my life that's stopping me from serving someone else? I wonder, if there are places in the church, in the church family, in the community, that God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you should think about this. How can you serve the Lord Jesus in serving others? And there's lots of opportunities. I'll mention some of them later. There's always a, a crunch when it comes to these sermons, isn't there? You know, you don't get away with anything. Yeah? I'll give you a list of things that you can do uh, at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon, rather. In the next few verses, in verses uh, 18 to 19, we read this. That uh, God had a plan, even for Judas, and sadly, it wasn't a good plan for Judas. But it was a plan that enabled his bigger plan to come into place for the salvation of mankind. And verse 18 says this. Read it with me if you like. Jesus said, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfil the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. So Jesus was contrasting between his chosen disciples, the disciples that were there to serve and honour him and sadly Judas that was chosen, certainly but chosen to um, deliver Christ to his enemies. And that's sad. He was chosen for a different purpose than the rest. And some people argue, well, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 9. He says this in 9 verse 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? So yes, even though it was sad what um, Judas was destined to do, it was certainly a part of God's plan. This psalm, um, Psalm 41, is a prophecy concerning this very event that would take place when, when Judas betrayed Jesus. It says in Psalm 41 verse 9, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now Jesus, knowing the scriptures, would would have known this was going to happen. I don't know if he knew exactly when it was going to happen, but he would have known that he would have been betrayed by someone close to him. It must have been a terrible time, terrible emotional time for Jesus. Because that's not what friends are supposed to do, is it? That's not what close confidence is supposed to do. Uh, Solomon in the Proverbs said that this is what friends should do. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity or a brother is born for those difficult times. 
I wonder if betrayal still happens today. Does it? Does betrayal of Jesus still happen today? Yes, it does, sadly, even in the life of the church when people who claim to be followers of Jesus live out uh, totally opposite lies, make stupid and sad and sinful and, and, and decisions that cause others to suffer because of pride and ego rather than of surrender and servanthood to Jesus. So yes, betrayal still happens today, but often it's because of a personal choice of not choosing to go God's way. But Jesus wants to explain all this beforehand so that the disciples have no, no misunderstanding that, that he wasn't a victim. He was, it was actually God's plan. They were, he didn't want them to be surprised by what happened. He wanted them to be informed. And that's why he says in verse 19 there, I'm telling you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. Who? What's he want them to believe? He wants them to believe that I am he. I am who? What's he asking? That he is the Messiah, correct. That he is God's chosen one come to uh, die for the sins and the disobedience of the world. So he declares very clearly without question that I am he. Now in the Old Testament, whenever uh, God referred to himself, often he said to, to someone like Moses, tell them that the I am has sent you. Jesus said that many times throughout the Gospels. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. So here he was reaffirming to his disciples again at this last supper with them that he was God. He was a deity. Undeniable object of their faith, of our faith. Jesus said, I am. John chapter 8 verse 24, it says, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you did not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. So it's something that they'd heard before, something that he's reminding them of again, that they would know that he truly is the Son of God. They, he was going to give them a job to represent the I am. He was going to give them a job because he was doing that. He was representing the I am, the one true God, he was the one true God and they were going to be given the job to represent him as well. Because verse 20 says this, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So their job was to represent him because he was representing the one who sent him. Jesus binds his mission on earth to the mission of his commissioned disciples. One and the same. Under the highest authority in heaven, God had given him the mission, he was giving them the mission. God had given him the mission, he was giving them the mission. There's a lot to consider there, isn't it? And it was to be a mission of humility, humble service. Now some people have argued, but where is the power of God in that? Did Jesus lack any power in his ministry? Gee, I don't know too many other people that rose people from the dead. You know, um, I don't know too many other people that walked on water. Certainly Jesus was the, the powerful representation of God in every aspect. But not in what the people of the day 
considered would be powerful, not in what people of today would consider to be powerful, famous, rich and all that sort of stuff. He did it in the attitude of a humble servant leader. That's why being a part of God's kingdom is so, difficult, so different to being part of any other earthly, earthly organisation. There's a lot to consider in these verses. Let's have a look at some of the things. There is the model of humility in serving each other according to the pattern of the Lord Jesus. Do we do that? Are we doing that? How can we do it? Well, I can give you some suggestions. Uh, There's some vacancies on the church cleaning roster for uh, the last three weeks in October. So, um, I'm happy to do it, folks. But if you want to help out, then come and see me. There's some other things that are potentially going to happen in the life of the church. It's been made aware to a number of folk in the church that there's people in our community that are struggling, particularly in the area of homelessness. And uh, uh, one person's approached me about what can we do as a church to care for uh, mums and children that are living in their car? What can we do? So one of the suggestions is that uh, with volunteers available, we might offer one or two afternoons a week where people can come use the showers in the church. They might be given some uh, pre-made uh, meals that they could take with them. We have spoken to one of the laundromat owners in town and we can pay ahead to have their clothes washed. But do you know what it needs? Humble servant volunteers and some, some, some coordination. So that's, that's going on. Please pray about that because uh, I think it's doable. And it's not just me. It did, I ha- happily say it wasn't my idea but that's what the body of Christ is all about, isn't it, Lincoln? You know, people, God using people in their gifts, talents and their passions. There are heaps of other things. Uh, um, uh, uh, Kevin and, 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 and Paul are, are going to organise a working bee sometime soon. We haven't set a date, have we? So, that's new. Uh, but it will happen before the end of the year and, uh, and, and people will be able to serve in that way. Can I say to you that there is a lot of humble uh, servanthood happening in the church right now. A lot of it's behind the scenes. A lot of it is people caring for people right where they are without being told to do it by anybody. But at the same time, there's lots of ways that we can serve. There are needs in our community where a humble servant attitude would revolutionise some of the community organisations that are around this place because they just don't see that as a part of the example. And that's what it means to live, to serve according to the pattern of Jesus. There is the teaching of God's perfect sovereignty and salvation and in your own life. God has a plan for you and his plan is that you might one day be able to look at Jesus face to face and be welcomed into eternity. But in the meantime, he has a plan for you every day. We need to be seeking him out about that plan. And finally, there's the power and the presence of the living God in the lives of those who are the chosen ones of God. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have been chosen by God and his power by his spirit is within us to live out the life that he wants us to live. Anybody want to wash my feet today? Not a pleasant experience and I probably wouldn't let you anyhow. But it's not about that, is it? And that's what the disciples struggled with. It wasn't about the, the, the cultural thing that they were used to. It wasn't about that. It was about Jesus' attitude, his model, 
of humble service. And if we take anything home with us today, let's take that prayer that says, Lord, I'm willing to serve, serve you wherever you want me to. And uh, if you want help with that, I'm happy to pray with you and we'll pray together about God, what God wants you to do in humble service. You're probably doing it already, but just to recognise that that's something that God's called you to. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus' example. We thank you that his actions were, were as a result of your heart, your direction in his life to show these men that were gathered around that table that night what your plan for them was. Not for one of power, prestige or fame, but for one of servanthood, humbleness and willingness to be there for the needs of others. Father, we pray that as opportunities arise for us, that you'll say yes or you might say no. Uh, Lots of good ideas that we need to know what your ideas for our lives are. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus' example once again. Thank you for the kingdom you've called us to be in, involved in, as Jesus follows. And thank you that, that it's a revolutionary kingdom, different to what this world has to offer. We pray for your strength and your leading as we seek to serve you day by day. Amen. Thanks, Bob.